<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman. Whether you are running the show or working your side hustle, we're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Work Party, the podcast. I am Jacqueline Johnson, your host, and today we are talking about collaboration over competition. You've heard it, you've reposted it on the gram, but have you really stopped to think about what it means? All right, let's break it all down. Along my journey of launching businesses, there have been a ton of women in my corner lifting me up and pushing me forward, or as some people say, a group text hyping me up along the way. Paying it forward and uplifting other women is something we've constantly talked about, finding your badass female tribe and putting it all together. Because when women come together to support each other, anything is truly possible. So let's break it down. Collaboration is defined as the act of working with someone to produce or create something. Competition, on the other hand, insinuates that there's only one place at the top, one winner, and every woman is on their own. We're ready to change this mindset and push forward instead the idea that there's room at the top for all of us because the narrative of women on women hate has to stop, full stop. Let's all lift each other up on our way up. Today, women make up 57% of the workforce in the U.S. In the past, that was a much, much, much smaller number, and competition was fierce. But now, we're launching brands and businesses based around a sense of community and sisterhood. And it's clear that collaboration thrives over competition. So today, we're talking just about that, collaboration over competition, and what really happens when women come together to make magic. To kick it off, we're chatting with our career expert, Blair Decembril from LinkedIn. Blair is the Director of Global Integrated Marketing and Communications over here, and I'm excited to hear her advice on collaborating in the workplace and online. Welcome, Blair. So let's get right into it. Today's episode is titled Collaboration Over Competition, and working at LinkedIn, I'm sure collaboration is a huge value behind the overall business. How have you seen careers advance when collaboration is involved? Sure. I mean, the reality is collaboration is key to 
life at LinkedIn, but also life beyond LinkedIn. I mean, we know today that companies and hiring managers and professionals and executives are really looking for soft skills versus hard skills when it comes to building a team. And we also know that you know our, our data shows us that, in fact, um, when those skills are lacked, they see a direct impact in the end result of their project. So it's super important. Uh, when it comes to life at LinkedIn, I mean, collaboration is part of our DNA. Whether we are launching a massive editorial franchise uh, magazine-style list like our LinkedIn top companies or a big campaign that we're trying to get out the door, I mean, these are cross-functional projects that um, really can only happen with a big team that works well together, and it's key to scaling our business. You know, at LinkedIn, it's just as important how you do your job as it is to what the end result is, and it's so important. It's something that we even measure ourselves against. I love that. And you mentioned hard skills versus soft skills. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about what those are for people who might not know? Sure. I mean, a soft skill is something like communication, collaboration, um, alignment. Um, those are things that are incredibly important when it comes to the working world. In addition to having that knowledge base, you need to know how to work with each other. You need to know how to talk to each other. You need to know how to, you know, um, make each other flourish. Um, And it's super, super important. And, you know, the reality is that 79% of employees and executives believe a lack of collaboration and team alignment directly impacts the outcome of a task. Wow. That's insane. And I also think, you know, when you're thinking about soft skills, it's kind of the things that aren't on paper. You know what I mean? It's that thing in the interview process where you feel like someone, oh, wow, they're going to fit in perfectly or they have the same culture and values as us. But that's so interesting. And speaking of LinkedIn research, uh, you guys did a study that showed that 84% of professionals admit that they've needed help at some point in their career. Yet more than one in three, 35%, say they're often too afraid to ask for it. Why do you think this is? And what are some tips for reaching out if you're hesitant to ask for help? Absolutely. I mean, we know, look, we all know that getting help from your community, asking for help is critical to the end result of a project. It's something super important. But we also know that people are afraid to ask for help. Um, And, you know, we have looked at uh, our research and have found that there's several different reasons. One, people point to the fact that they're afraid that they have to prove their self-worth in solving a problem on their own. We also know that they don't want to waste anyone's time. Mm -hmm. 28% of Gen Zers say that they don't want to waste anybody else's time to ask for help. And 24% say that um, they're afraid that it would make them look unqualified at their job. So again, you know, they're obviously... The reality is that when it comes to um, asking for help, people are afraid that they might look weak or that they might waste each other's time. Time and attention are definitely a commodity these days. And I think oftentimes when it comes to reaching out to someone that is more successful than you or higher up in the chain, I think the best way to approach that, you know, truly is with a very specific request, right? Like, so a very direct question, because I do think everyone is very busy, but at the same time, I think what you'll find is people are very willing to help you if you reach out with a very specific notion request, like, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I need help. I need this connection, whatever it might be. I think it's so important. So obviously, LinkedIn is a hub for all things career. It's, you know, where everyone goes to find a job, talk about their new job, all of those different things. But there is sort of a science behind it. There's technology behind it. So what are some of the tips that you have when it comes to optimizing your LinkedIn profile? So number one tip when it comes to optimizing your LinkedIn profile is you got to have a profile photo. 
a professional with a profile photo will receive, receive 21 times more profile views than ones that don't. And I often get asked, how do you know what that profile photo should look like? The reality is, if you're not a veterinarian, it shouldn't be your cat photo. <laughs> right? Make sure that you stand in front of a, a clear a white wall or a, a clear backdrop and make sure that your face really um, uh, takes up the vast majority of the picture. Make it clear and concise. It represents who you are as a professional. My second tip would be make sure that you list your current experience, your current position, in addition to your past experience as well. That demonstrates your career path. It demonstrates the skill set that you have. And professionals that list the, that current experience um, are viewed up to 29 times more than ones with only one position listed. So make sure you flesh that out. Third thing, location. It seems super obvious. It's super important to keep it up to date where you are, where you want to be, to ensure that professionals, whether you're looking for a job and you're looking for recruiters to look for you or you're looking for new business prospects, can find you and really are relevant in their world. Additionally, make sure that you list your industry. Adding your industry um, of work makes you 38 times more likely to be found by recruiters. 38 times. And last but not least, skills. Make sure that you maintain a relevant list of skills, at least five skills on your profile that will help others understand your strengths. And you can match talent with opportunity. One of the things I was going to say is I always see these headlines that are like seeking new opportunity or hire, we're hiring, like these kind of headline announcements, which I think for me, you know, as someone who's constantly trying to hire someone or look for new talent, it's very helpful because you're like, oh, got it. You're in Los Angeles. You're in the market. You're looking for a job. So definitely I'm all about my LinkedIn. I like update it all the time. I add all my like press hits and all of those things. But I also share a lot of the content that we're creating at Create and Cultivate. Yep. And it's funny you say about the headshot. I think it's so important and, and it's really easy to do. Just get Get some good lighting and get a yeah. good camera, but also at Crane Cultivate, we do headshots, so kind of a good Great. little plus up there. So can you share a few hidden features or little known facts about how LinkedIn works? I feel like there's some behind the scene hacks that we might not know about. I often get asked, should you connect with everybody in your network or, or anybody that reaches out to you or not? It's a personal choice. I We recommend here at LinkedIn that you should connect to people, connect to professionals in your network that you know and trust. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, there also is the ability to be followed on LinkedIn and that has a different purpose. So really think about that um, when you're thinking about how best to approach building your network. Additionally, make sure that you take advantage of that community around you. We know that talent, you know, we know that it's all related to leveraging your network when it comes especially to, to finding a job. So make sure that you reach out to people, ask for help, um, reach out to if you if there's 10 companies that you want to work for, reach out to your second, third, uh, first connections and ask them for an intro to help you get in the door. Additionally, and it's great to know that you and Create and Cultivate do this, but make sure that you share content. That will enable you to stay top of mind with your network. If you read an article that inspires you, share it. If you're at a conference or you meet somebody that inspires you, take a photo, share that, record a video on LinkedIn. It's a great way to stay top of mind with your network and reinforce to people your skills, your insight, your area of expertise, and what really motivates you. Absolutely. And also on top of that, one of my favorite features is when it alerts me to my connections in the press. Oh, so-and-so was mentioned in the press. It's like it keeps me up to date on my network, but also what's happening in the marketing advertising sector. So that's really amazing advice. So when it comes to your bio, obviously this is now a new era where you have you know this online persona and your bio kind of outlined for you and you're looking for a new opportunity. What should you include? 
long, lengthy bio, short to the point bio? What are the things that are going to grab potential employers' attention? We recommend 40 words or more in your summary section. It's it's a moment to, it's I think of it as your elevator pitch. It's a moment to describe your broad spectrum of experience and who you are as a professional and who you want to be. There are opportunities for you to list your current experience and your current roles below. So it doesn't need to be a summary of what your current job is unless you're seeking new opportunities related to that. So again, think about what your goals are. Take a step back. What are you in it for? Um, and make sure that you know the content is of your profile is reflected to, to encompass that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for collaborating with me on this interview. It was such a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. All right, let's see what's popping over at the CNC HQ with our marketing coordinator, Teal. Teal, what's up, girl? Hey. So, fun fact, collaboration over competition is one of Create & Cultivate's best-performing Instagram posts. Everyone loves it. It literally broke the internet. It was crazy. It was so awesome because we came up with that kind of in-house, that saying and feeling really good about it. And we're like, hope people like this. And it was insane insane which makes me very happy it's so cool and it's like a huge topic of conversation at our events too which is so fun but obviously we all know this is such an important mindset to our success and on the blog we're actually sharing an article about how fostering relationships is key to our business success specifically absolutely business is absolutely personal and relationships are personal and nurturing those relationships is very important so what was the best tip It's about social media, actually, and liking a photo or updating your Facebook status. I know it's not really making a connection, but there is power in social media and real connections can be made. So if there's someone on Instagram that you follow and you think you want to collab with, go beyond the like button and shoot them a DM with a short message about how you admire your work. Give a small elevator pitch and sell them on an idea that you could potentially collaborate with them on. To slide into their DMs is what you're saying. Yes. (laughs) I actually slid into Whitney Lee Morris, who's one of my best friends, DMs. uh, Cut to four years later, still besties. So definitely agree. Uh, Instagram is such an amazing platform for sure. It really is. So send a DM today, guys. Do it. (laughs) I'm going to slide into your DMs, TL. Please. They're open. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, girl. Bye. Be career FOMO with LinkedIn. LinkedIn makes it easier than ever to find fresh opportunities and to meet professionals looking to hire people just like you. It's important to always keep your network active and constantly seek new opportunities and possibilities. We're proud to have partnered with LinkedIn for season one of Work Party because they're all about making game-changing career connections and so are we. Today, we're talking about collaboration over competition and why now more than ever, we as women need to have each other's backs. It's the backbone of what we believe here at Create and Cultivate and how we thrive as a company and a team. 
Our guest today lives and breathes supporting other women by not only collaborating with them, but also supporting them, and more importantly, standing up for what she believes in. Let's welcome to the show activist, actress, storyteller, and self-proclaimed tech nerd, Sophia Bush. Hello. Hi. So I'm so excited to chat with you. When we first concepted this episode, I was like, Sophia Bush, like we have to use her because obviously, you know, we've worked together in the past and I've seen the work that you do and and how you support other women just constantly. So I was like, she is our girl. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I, I mean, like I said earlier, it's so nice to see you. It's weird when you realize you've gone just because of work and life and things so long without seeing people so I'm I'm very Time excited we're here <laughs> is flying by every single day it's so insane yeah. and it's like I can't believe we're almost at the end of the year it's summer it's just it's too much and and you know we all follow each other on social media so it's like we feel like we're in touch and then when you yeah. see people you're like wait I haven't seen you in like a year so good to see you so growing up I think the media at least for me played you know this kind of narrative of of girls having to compete for, Mm. you know, whether it's like a spot on the cheerleading team, for the guy, for the job, you know, whatever it might be. Um, And I think slowly that narrative is changing, at least, you know, from what I'm seeing. But when in your life growing up, did you, one, have that narrative as well? And two, when did you realize that this is kind of bullshit? Mm. I think it's a narrative that we're sold from the time that we're so young, we probably don't remember when it started. I think for me... I grew up playing team sports. I played soccer as a kid. Um, I played volleyball. So in sports, at least you have, and I guess when you're young, you know, you're not in competitive college sports, but when you're younger, sports are such a great breeding ground for collaboration. And I think that they're so good for anybody. And I went to an all girls school for junior high and high school. So there was a lot less to compete about. You weren't competing for the attention of boys or the affection of boys or any of the things that society kind of sells to us we're supposed to be thinking about. I went to school all day every day to do nothing but learn and there were still mean girl politics and and things were still a bit nuts for us and I had such a great community of women in college and then I went uh, to do my first job in North Carolina. I was shooting One Tree Hill. And it's interesting for all of us now, still being very close, hindsight is always the the big gift, right? And we realized, and there's a bit of a myth in Hollywood that, you know, your bosses don't want casts to get really close because they'll pull a friends. And it's like, yeah, okay, that was like one amazing TV deal in the history of television. (laughs) Clearly, it's not really happening for people. But um We experienced, you know, all of us girls were so close right off the bat. And as we dealt with this, what's the word I want to use here? Unfortunate uh, sort of overlord of our job. We realized later, and luckily not before it was over, but we realized later that for the first few years, our boss was really playing all the girls off of each other Mm -hmm. because our immediate closeness was seen as a threat. And I think about that not only for how unfortunate it is that women are taught that there's only space for one woman. You know, is a woman going to get a board seat? Is a woman going to become a partner at the law firm? Um, But also how ironic it is that men in power don't pit men who are juniors to them against each other, but they try to pit women against each other. 
So it's not just that women are taught to compete with other women. Men like it when women are competing. Well, yeah, because it's no longer a threat, Mm -hmm. right? It's like exactly what you said. When women come together, it's so powerful when Mm -hmm. everyone's on the same team. That's a threat. Like Mm -hmm. immediately to him, he's like, no, 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 we can't have this. We have to stir up Mm -hmm. this like unnecessary drama or whatever it is. Yeah. So that that was certainly something interesting. And, And for us, there was a learning curve of, oh, interesting that we trusted the guy for a minute because he's, you know, older and in power and whatever, and you think you're supposed to. But you don't want your girls to love each other and collaborate. Like, there's no better way to create an unbreakable bond with women than for them to realize that some guy has been, you know, trying to get them to fight. Uh, so that backfired. <laughs> and, and they're my sisters. Um, but I think the other thing for me was realizing that it's okay to find your family, your friend family, as you grow. You know, I I had friendships that taught me things and were wonderful and also broke my heart in high school. I had great friendships in college that were probably born of local overlap. You know, you become friends with people in your dorms or whatever. Um, I really, really made my best friends in my mid to late 20s. And I have a true sisterhood in my life. And it's okay to sort of hone your skills as a friend, as a supporter of your fellow women while you are growing up. It's kind of like dating. You know, you get better at it, more perceptive. You know what you're looking for. It's the same thing. Relationships are relationships. And for some reason, we're not really taught in our friendships that we're allowed to, you know, evolve or age out of something or allow something to be a season. And I think that one of the most important things that we can do as women when we talk about collaborating over competing is make sure that we are collaborative. And if you haven't been, that's okay. Today you can start to be. And tomorrow you'll be better at it. And in a year you'll be really good at it. You know, we all have lessons to learn. But I think that evolving into the better version of yourself helps you attract those better friends you want in your life as well. I love that. And I think also, what you know, what you said is so true you get better at friendship. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think people really talk about that. You know, it's like you think like from day one, you know how to be a friend. Like, you don't know how to be a friend. Mm -hmm. You go through things and that really teaches you what friendship is. So I was going to comment on your badass squad of women um, that you surround yourself with. How have these relationships gotten you through your ups and downs? And what do you look for? Like, what constitutes a solid relationship to you now? Mm. I mean, first of all, Yes, my community of women is the greatest gift of my life. Uh, And one of my girlfriends, Ruthie, Lindsay, um, who if you don't follow on Instagram, you should, hello. But (laughs) Ruthie always says, you have to be the kind of friend that you want. And for me our community of friends really does feel like a family. And we have attracted each other 
you know, we've brought each other in, called each other in. And the things that when you say, you know, what do you look for? It's more what I want to give and what I want to get. Uh, what kind of a an energy makes the time and the travel and the investing in other humans feel really worth it. And for me, it's consistency, it's integrity, it's safe space, you know, to, to have a community of women with whom you can sit and talk about your goals for the next year and, and your big dreams for business and career and love and life, who you can also call and just cry to when you're having a bad day or something goes wrong you know friends who love you at your highest and your lowest and who are willing to come in with a pep talk and who you know how to give pep talks to you know that that feels special to me 100 percent, and it's definitely something that's not easy to find but again over time you sort of build that that group so i want to talk about one of the women in your amazing tribe nia she's the founder of detroit blows which i found out about because i met her through you mm-hmm. and it was one of those funny things where you were basically pushing her in front of the spotlight you were like this is nia she's doing this amazing thing in detroit and you know i'm working with her on it and i found out about it i've told people about it we featured her it's like that ripple effect of yeah. supporting your friend in that way mm-hmm. so one can you tell us a little bit about her and what she's doing, mm-hmm. um, but why you think it's important for women in powerful positions like yourself to put other women in the spotlight? Yes, it is our responsibility to hold the door open for other people, and people will do it for us. We need to do it for others, and I'm the most proud of my friends. It's it's like, look, the reality of things, whether your job is um, really fulfilling or so-so, a job is a job. And there's plenty of people who think that what I do is glamorous or interesting until they come and visit a set, by the way. And then they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe what's happening here. I have to go uh, after they raid the snack table, which same. But for me, the highlight is is celebrating my friends who are doing these amazing things. I think these women are these multiplication factors of amazing compared to me and what I'm doing. And isn't that the the goal, you know, to look at the people in your life and, and want to sort of support them and, and lift them up. And yeah, that was my absolute pleasure. You know, Nia was working on the business uh, and I was here on the West Coast. And when I was coming to be interviewed by you for Create and Cultivate in Houston, it was a great meeting spot for us. Um, you know, it was like a good getaway weekend. And she's also the kind of person who will say, yeah, I totally want to go to that conference with you. And, oh, you want to use Sunday, which is our day off, to take the team to volunteer at the Houston Food Bank? Yes, I want to do that. You know, that's a Sunday fun day for all of us. So those those are great identification factors for friends. Um, but it's not even that I think it's a responsibility it's that it's something I'm so proud to do. And I also think it's how we shift energy. You know, if if friends come with me to things and all I'm doing is talking about what I'm doing, we're not making new energy. But if I bring one of my best friends to something I'm doing, her support gives me energy. And if I can take that energy and then turn it into support for her, now we're creating flow. And now we're doing something that's boosting not just me, not just her, but also the business she's building, all the women who work for and with her, the community that the business benefits um, through its giving arm. You know, that 
that feels exciting to me. And that's, we talk about that in the book a little bit, but paying it forward, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, it, and it's little things. Like, I think it's so important because I talk about these two girls I met at an event six years ago who basically got me this meeting that got me my first big client. And like, we weren't even, we're not even friends. They were just two girls that were like, I like what you're doing. I'm going to send this intro email mm-hmm. for you. And it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so important is like you said, it's a little thing. You're bringing her here, but the ripple effect down the line. And it is the exact thing that combats scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. Because scarcity mentality is the world telling us there's only room for one of you. You're going to have to fight tooth and nail, you know, every day to get where you want to get. And the irony is that the world and all of its resources exist all of the time. You know, a couple of years ago, and I'm sure the number is different now, but a couple of years ago, somebody said to me, you know that $1.2 trillion moves around the world every 24 hours. Like it's happening no matter what. There's plenty of resources out there. So how are you going to figure out um, what or which of those resources belong to you? They, they should belong to all of us. Me supporting you or Nia or any of my girlfriends does not mean there's any less out there for me. There is no such thing as a finite bucket of success. That is a lie told to us by people who really like having a massive bucket. Mm-hmm. But we all deserve buckets. And and so I, I know we've gone um, a bit off track because I tend to go on tangents. Um, but I, I didn't tell you about Nia's business, which, yes, which you yes. asked about. So for anybody listening, um, one of my best friends, Nia, built this incredible business called Detroit Blows, and it is a fully head-to-toe, non-toxic beauty beauty bar. It's a blow-dry bar and a nail salon, and every single thing in it is high quality. Um, we don't use chemicals, and and the idea behind it was that, uh, you know, there is a pun because Detroit has been this forgotten city, and now it's really redeveloping and, and reemerging, and Nia's from Detroit and wanted to reinvest in her hometown. And we also had a conversation because my group of friends is very diverse, and Nia, for example, is a black woman. I am a white woman. One of our other best friends is a Persian woman. And we all have very different experiences with hair. And hair for women is still an incredibly segregated industry. And there are very unfair upcharges placed on women of color that are hidden in service fees, in um really kind of tacky language of, oh, well, you know, your hair is so thick, so there's going to be an upcharge of this. And it's more about texture and do you have kinky hair or good hair. There's there's all of this stuff that keeps women separated from each other. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a place where the three of us could go get our hair done together? And that was the whole idea, was how do you start bringing intersectional communities of women together in a space that not only is like our cheers, but that is taking care of us. Because what we put on us, we put in us. And beauty products are so bad for us. You know, it's, a, it's, an, it's an industry that hasn't been regulated in the United States since the 1920s. So there are over 1,500 chemicals that are illegal to use in beauty products in Europe that are still cleared to oh use God. in the United States. And so for us, we thought if we build it, And if we make it, 
we can start to change the game by proving that this is a viable model because you vote with your dollars. So the salon is a place where when we were dreaming it up, we thought, you know, we want records playing and we want it to feel like an art gallery and a little boutique and also just a really beautiful holistic space for women to commune together. And that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Now we're uh, about to celebrate our one year anniversary. So our baby is one, October 14th, in fact. And it's all working. And, and the, the retail aspect of the store, whether it's beauty products or um, intimates or jewelry, is all hyper-conscious and globally sourced. There's an amazing art gallery in Detroit that, that puts the art up in the space, so we get to highlight artists and makers in the community. And, and our retail footprint, um, 25% of it goes to our give-back arm, which is called Detroit Grows, which supports local female entrepreneurs in the community. And so we're writing grant checks to women who deserve to start their own businesses and who need support from their sisters. And so this place that is a place born of our sisterhood is a place of sisterhood for the community in so many ways. And it gets to have that ripple effect. And that, that to me is why women have to be in this together because look what we can make. It's an amazing story, and it's an amazing concept. If you have not checked it out, you definitely need to check it out. Follow Nia and Detroit Blows as well. So obviously, some people aren't as lucky to find a crew of amazing women off mm. the bat or might be going through a friendship breakup. Like, we've mm. all been there. Mm. What advice do you have for women who are either in it right now, going through the friendship breakup, or just haven't found their people yet? It takes time. And God, what an annoying cliche, right? But cliches are cliches because they're actually true. Uh, And I've been there too. I've had my heart broken by friends. I've realized people had shitty motivations and also were just not nice people. I've been in, in the mean girls hallway and we all have and it's true for all of us. And I think it's just really important to remember that people change Uh, It can feel awful, but friendships or romantic relationships, breakups suck no matter what. And we should be able to mourn breakups and friendships in a way that is as socially acceptable as we are allowed to mourn our romantic relationships ending. But I think that the thing to remember or, or I guess the piece of advice I would offer if you're in the midst of it is use that as an opportunity to take stock in what kind of friend you are. Make a list of the great qualities about the kind of friend that you are and of the things you're not so proud of. Are you jealous? Do you have a temper? Do whatever. Deal with it. Because the better friend you make yourself into, the better friends you will draw into your life. Because your standards will elevate. You won't tolerate the friend who is that girl who every time someone walks out of the room, she has some shit to say about them. Because you know in your gut, if you have that friend, that when you walk out of the room, she's talking shit about you too. Um, it took me a long time. I, I, had a, I had a friend from all of high school and college who, who I had to come to terms with was that person. And that's fine. I imagine that She's a very different person now. Mm-hmm. But I realized that that what felt toxic in that friendship was not something I needed to hold on to because of history or whatever. You wouldn't stay with a guy who 
talked to you like you were useless um, just because you'd been dating him since you were 16, right? I don't know. So I think, I think to reframe the way we hold friendships and what we require out of them and remind ourselves about what our capabilities are in ourselves as friends and what we deserve. If you start to make it about standards, it, it shifts the paradigm a bit. Amazing advice. And obviously we're talking about collaboration over competition, but you know, at the end of the day, humans are human and competition is sort of a natural mm-hmm. thing. What do you define healthy competition as? Healthy competition to me feels supportive. And and it's funny, I, I didn't continue um, playing any kind of competitive sports in high school or college. And maybe that was because I just really hate, I hate competing with people. It makes me feel icky. Um, But I think there are really healthy ways to quote unquote compete. Like if you're trying to get healthier and all, all you and your friends say, okay, game on, group challenge, you know, four days a week, we're all going to work out and we're either going to do it together or we're going to have to report to each other. That's theoretically a competition. That's something you have to keep up with, but it's supportive. You're supporting your friends. You're you're supporting each other in a common goal that's good for all of you. And maybe that's about your health or maybe that's about work. Um, I, but I think that when competition starts to seep into going after jobs or partners or whatever, it, it gets dangerous. You know, I understand the idea of having to be competitive in a competitive marketplace or whatever. But that really, to me, again, reflects the onus back onto me or to you, which is I have to make sure I'm a qualified candidate for this position. I have to make sure I study my ass off for this audition if I think I'm going to book this movie. I ha- it, it, it has to motivate me to be the best version of myself, not to want to overpower you. I think almost like you are your own competition, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you kind of have to continually be competing with yourself. And then when you are bringing other people into it, it's more about accountability. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm keeping you accountable on, you know, this weight loss journey or, you know, whatever it is that you might be doing. And I think I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, so obviously the goal is for everyone to support each other and live happily ever, ever after. But there's still an abundance of women on women crime. I mean, I experience it. I'm sure you experience it. Oh, yeah. What do you have in terms of advice for women who are dealing with, with someone who's specifically out to get them, or maybe it feels that way, that someone's continually coming after them. I know at the Creighton Cultivate in Chicago recently, this girl came up to me and was like, I, you know, work at this job and my counterpart is like always trying to one-up me in meetings, always trying to go one ahead of me. And I, and it's unfortunate because it's like, I'm not trying to compete with you. Like I'm trying to have both of us do our, our job, but like our manager's not seeing that. Like they just see mm. her constantly getting in front of me. And I thought it was like an interesting scenario where, you know, I was like, well, have you, have you kind of talked to her and just said like, you know, white flag, like I'm not trying to, let's try and support each other to do better. Mm. Um, and she hadn't done that. But those types of situations, workplace related, non-workplace related, I think are, are very common. And I think it's really, it's a tough situation. So mm-hmm. in terms of what your advice would be. It's really hard. And especially when you're young, it's really, really tough to feel like you have the words, to feel like you can get into the nuance, to to be confident enough to confront one of those situations. And even if it blows up in your face, to not take that personally. 
I think, yeah, the the frustrating answer is that you, you do have to confront it. And nobody wants to do that. Everyone just wants everything to get magically better. I mean, that's human nature. But I would, in that situation, depending on the person, I don't know if it makes sense to, you know, write a letter in an email or say I'd like to have a sit-down conversation and bring points. I mean, write out your points because when you're emotional – and, and it's impossible not to be emotional when you're having a conversation that makes you uncomfortable and makes you feel threatened. Um, and just sit a person down and say, listen, I could be reading this the wrong way. Because you got to give somebody a little bit of a pass or they'll feel attacked just to say, I could be reading into this the wrong way. But what, what it feels like in the room when we're in meetings is that you're always out to one-up me. And I know there's a corporate culture that whether overtly or, or sort of in the subtext tells women that we are, we're, we're breathing rare air, that, that there's only room for one of us at the top. But that isn't true. And I want to support you. I would love to also feel supported. Um, and I, I hear feedback that the competition makes us to the men in the room look like petty women rather than great coworkers. And I don't want that for me. I certainly don't want that for you. I'm not out to get you and I'd like for you to not be out to get me. And and maybe you are um, just a competitive person by nature and I'm not, you know, it could be my my reading too much into this, but again, this is how it feels to me and it makes it hard. And I'd love to know how it feels to you and, and how we might be able to change the energy around this so that we can look as professional as possible to the people that we work for. You know, because it's really good to remind people that whatever personal issue you're having in the workplace is not making a great case uh, for you to your superiors. And I think your approach of saying, I might be reading this the wrong way or, you know, this could be totally off base, but is exactly like because again like you're opening the door for conversation and mm-hmm. if it gets shut down you tried right mm-hmm. but I think that's so important especially with workplace you know confrontation I think it's always a little scary to kind mm-hmm. of you know attach uh you know or kind of approach those topics yeah um you know when you're doing that and something that's actually really interesting just this morning oh no I'm sorry it was yesterday but I bookmarked it um I love reading the Harvard Business Review it's like just one of my favorite places to go online every day And yesterday they published an article titled Don't Underestimate the Power of Women Supporting Each Other at Work by an author, uh, Anne Welsh McNulty. Google it. Bookmark it in your phone. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes, please. And then, you know, think about it. Anytime you're having this discussion, send some data that is non-personal to the person who you feel personally attacked by to sort of remind them that this is a larger conversation and you're not trying to be petty, and and you're not trying to get a one-up. You really do want to change workplace culture to set an example and also to enjoy coming into your office every day. So you've gotten together with, you know, other female celebrities and really stood your ground, especially in the Me Too movement. What is your goal for these joining forces, and how are you hoping to shift this very necessary conversation? There is no way to change culture without a movement. And it's interesting because 
when we're decades out from these sort of big moments in time, everyone looks back and goes, oh, I would have been one of the people supporting those people. I would have been one of the people marching with Dr. King. I would have been one of the people protesting the war. I would have been, you know, in the moment, it is unpopular. To rock the boat is unpopular. And so when you see so many people publicly putting their necks on the line for something that you know they are receiving a ton of blowback for, you have to know that it means something. And to me, shifting the culture in our industry means something because I know that it doesn't just exist in my industry. I know that if it has been this bad for so many women and men who work in entertainment, I know how bad it is for women who work in fields. I know how bad it is for women who work in the hotel service industry. I know how bad it is for women who are working in hospitals and academia. And this is not an isolated vertical. It's not like, oh, well, in this industry it happens, in this one it doesn't. It's happening everywhere all of the time. And whether we're talking about microaggressions or, or macro assault, it's a cultural problem. And we have the power to make waves using our voices. And we're very aware that if we always have the camera lenses turned on us, which is exhausting uh, and can really be the opposite of fun, we can take advantage of that spotlight and use it for all women. It's the reason that Time's Up started a legal defense fund to literally pay for the legal services for women who are in industries that cannot afford it. It's a bigger issue. And and so I get why the question often is like, oh, all these celebrities are talking about Me Too, but all women are talking about Me Too. We just know that we have camera time. So we're going to use it. You know, it, I thought that it was so amazing that so many women um, who knew they were going to get the most attention on the carpet at the Globes last year took activists as their dates. I was like, yes, my sisters, that's how you do this. And there, there's no way that we change the culture of sexual assault whether we're talking about the gender wage gap or we're talking about the compounding effects of gender and racial pay gaps, we have to do this together. And so you obviously have a large platform and you're using that for various causes, which, like you said, can have a lot of blowback. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you constantly um, on your feet are always highlighting, you know, the causes that you're passionate about. But of course, you're getting people who are chiming in with their opinions or like don't agree with what you're saying. And so how do you keep persisting, you know, when people are challenging you? Because if everybody agreed with with you all of the time, you wouldn't be doing anything worthwhile. And it sucks. You know, it's not easy to be on the receiving end of waves of really shockingly hateful incoming feedback. Um, but as uncomfortable as that can be and, and for whatever ramifications that has in my own life, for my own mental health, the purpose is bigger than, than any pain. 
And it's a drop in the bucket when I when I step back and I think about what people on the front lines of in in of these dangerous situations in societies that are dictatorships. Like, what do I have to complain about? Some a bunch of guys pounced into my mentions and, you know, threatened my life. Yeah, it really sucks. And it sucks having to spend money to investigate every single one of them to figure out who's a credible threat. But you look at journalists being jailed in Myanmar because they're reporting on the genocide. And it's like, it is our responsibility to use our platforms to highlight the voices of the people doing the most dangerous work to the best of our ability. And whether you're doing the most dangerous work in the world and you need support or you're doing work that in your own relative space feels really scary and uncomfortable, anyone who's willing to put themselves out there to do the right thing earns respect in my book. You have such a strong sense of self, such a strong voice. I mean, I, looking at your Instagram feed, I, I mean, this is an estimate, but I would say like 80% of the things you post about are not about you. And obviously in a world of selfies and all these photos, it's like that's what you're used to seeing on Instagram. Mm. You know, you highlight LeBron James' work. You highlight the injustice, injustices like the murder of Nia Wilson, um, the issue of downloadable guns. I mean, there's so many different things. You're unwavering in your courage and your tenacity. And it's really, it's amazing to watch and, you know, obviously an honor to support, but there's so many people out there that I think are struggling to find their voice, find their purpose, find their cause, um, and to really, you know, take that step and just say, I'm going to stand for something. What advice do you have for people who are struggling with that? I get it. You know, the, the way the world works now, the internet makes everything a Pandora's box. Uh, it's, it's not just conversations we're having around our dinner tables in our close communities, but it is also a privilege. And for people who say to me, I don't know where to start, the two things I always tell them or ask them rather are what makes you angry? I'm talking lights a match in your gut, angry, and what breaks your heart? And then I ask them, what are you going to do about it? Because when I see women being abused, that makes me enraged. When I see children suffering, that breaks my heart. Those are problems I have to work on. When I see government officials who know better denying science science is not here for opinion it's not like well maybe maybe we should do, get a gray couch i don't know a blue couch like we're talking scientific fact we are talking about the fact that the planet is heating up natural disasters are increasing wildfires are increasing for every degree celsius that the planet heats we we start losing in certain parts of the world 2% of our agricultural yield. We will not be able to feed people if we don't deal with this. When I see politicians who are making money, big money, because corporations that are harming the planet don't want to lose profit, so politicians lie about science, that makes me enraged. I'm sweating. My hands are hot just talking about this right now. There's no way I could sit at home and just post selfies. Sometimes I post videos of my dogs because they're amazing. 
And sometimes I freak out on Instagram because I find out Murphy Brown is coming back to TV and it's was one of the seminal shows of my childhood. <laughs> you know, those are things that I'm happy to share and I don't want to be, you know, gloom and doom or, or just scientific fact all day, but I could not just do that. I don't know what I would be doing here if I were just doing that. And not everybody has to have the same amount of fire about this stuff and not everybody has to be as big of a data nerd as I am. I mean, I'm researching in every one of these arenas all of the time because it fills my life. So maybe your thing is not so hot or tight, you know, sensitive making, whatever, but something gets you. And even if that means that you want to you know, volunteer at your local animal shelter and walk dogs on Sundays and, you know, donate your birthday every day to raising money for them, you're still changing the world. You don't have to be obsessed with foreign policy because there's crazy people at home like me who are. <laughs> but we all have to do something because if we all do something, then everything changes. It is the it is like the butterfly effect, like you said. And, and I think that's the questions you're asking are so important. And I think if everyone asks themselves those questions, they'll have answers mm -hmm. and then they'll be able to have action that kind of supports those answers. So what is one of your favorite instances of collaboration you've had personally? Oh man. One of my favorite instances of collaboration. Um, it's so hard to pick because I think about I think about stages of life. I think about um, learning about female friendships and being 23 and making John Tucker Must Die and having the time of my life on a film set, you know, with this movie with, with these four women who were in cahoots and we were a family that summer and it was amazing and it was an early example in my career of how incredible a completely collaborative environment of women could be. And that movie was directed by a woman, Betty Thomas. She's amazing. She probably had a lot to do with it. Um, I think about I think about building two schools in Guatemala for my 30th birthday and what that collaboration was between me and friends and family and every stranger who donated to that campaign. We raised over $60,000 and our median donation was under 50 bucks. It's amazing. Like when people tell you you can't change the world until you're Warren Buffett, they are wrong. Um, I, I think about the first time I directed on One Tree Hill. I think about Nia and I launching this business. I think about um, my, my best friends taking trips together just to be together you know whether that means a group of girls is going fly fishing in Alaska or we're going to Palm Springs and uh you know laying by the pool and cooking together and somebody's reading tarot cards and it's like a whole witchy beautiful thing collaboration is what gives me my best memories for sure 
So one of the things you said at our Houston event last year, I loved so much is you were talking about, you know, women for so long, were meant to stay quiet and look pretty mm-hmm. and be polite and have polite conversations. And then you said, how boring, <laughs> which I loved because I was like, that is so true. Mm-hmm. Why do you think now more than ever, it's important for women to be strong, loud, confident and bold? I think it's about representing ourselves in a more honest and full circle way than we have been given permission to do in the past. You know, the narrative has generally been controlled by people who want to see women in a certain way. We are beginning to have more ownership of our own narrative. And so we don't just have to be, you know, quiet, pretty, and polite. And we don't just have to be strong and professional and brilliant. We're all of these things. Women are wildly complex. And beginning to represent ourselves more wholly starts to right the wrongs that we've had to carry because we've been placed in these boxes that we have to break out of all of the time. You know, you've heard the references to that Madonna horror complex. And it's like, you're either Virgin Mary or a prostitute. And it's like, no. Women can be brilliant and bold and run a boardroom and be funny and witty and also sensitive and emotional, uh, empathetic, which, by the way, is a superpower. Being emotional is also a superpower. If you're not in touch with your emotions, you're a sociopath. So I don't want to hang out with like a Charles Manson. Anyway, we're allowed to be all of those things and, you know, creative and thoughtful and sexual and all of that is okay. And why there is still this sort of balking at women wanting to be all of those things. We want to be represented as all of those things because we are all of those things. We are all screaming from inside these boxes we've been stuck in saying, just show me women like me. It's the reason that a show like Big Little Lies becomes a phenomenon because women are seeing themselves not just as the sidekick or the girlfriend or the cheerleader or the or the nerd like oh put a real pretty girl in glasses and suddenly you know she's the worst it's like nobody wants to see those movies anymore we want to be represented by stories that are as complex as we are and so i think that's why we've often been bored Because the representations of us have been boring. And the more we own all of ourselves, that's that's a title shift. That's an energetic shift. That's part of the reason I think that you're seeing the kind of content coming out representing women in, in more authentic and complex ways. Because we're showing our authenticity and our complexity to the world. I'm so excited for the type of content that's coming out. And I think hopefully we keep seeing more of it and hearing Mm -hmm. those stories. So we're going to wrap with some uh, sentence finishers. So if I could have dinner with anyone in the world, it would be Oprah. God, Oprah. She's anything with Oprah. I mean, she's truly the best. Like the times I've hung with her have been in these big rooms. You know, there's a lot of people around. Um, You're like, get out. And I'm like, I know everyone loves her, but do you know how much I love her? Can I, I just like, yeah, let's just have dinner, girl. One piece of advice I would give my 20-year-old self is? Oh, this one I've said for years, honestly, because I think I needed to hear it when I was 20 and I probably still need to hear it now. 
Stop worrying about being somebody else's definition of enough. Amazing. My guilty pleasure Instagram follow is... Okay, I really love dogs and food. It's an excellent account. You need to know it. And also, I talked about this on Jimmy Fallon recently, and then we got him on the account. So not only do I love it, but I also feel this very intense sense of pride. Uh, For hot dudes reading, you're welcome. One woman I admire is... Mm. Oh, gosh. Just one? I know. That's a tough one. Um, I just watched uh, RBG, the documentary about Ruth, Ruth Peter Ginsburg, again. And so I'm really, I'm in a moment with her. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to go for Ruth. One thing we can all do today that will make a better tomorrow is... Say something. And I want my legacy to be... Empathy, honesty, ferocity, and a little fun. Thank you so much, Sophia. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to season one of Work Party, the podcast. We've had so much fun interviewing these amazing badass businesswomen and hope you've been inspired and motivated to continue your own work party. Before we get into season two, we want to hear from you. Who do you want to hear on Work Party Podcast next? Let us know on social, at Work Party, and leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. We'll be back soon, but be sure to visit workparty.com for endless inspiration. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on. Party on.